When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In three, two, one. Seven things you don't really need to know, but probably should. I'm Jamie Easton. This, this is the Sunday Seven. In today's episode, an unusual Nobel Prize winner, the EU changes charger rules, and we have a new tool in the fight against plastic waste. But first, it was on this day in 1876, the first two-way telephone conversation occurred over outdoor wires. Alexander Graham Bell had a two-way conversation with Thomas Watson over the telegraph line linking Boston and East Cambridge. The Nobel Assembly at Karolinska Institutet has today decided to award the 2022 Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine to Svante Pebo for his discoveries concerning the genomes of extinct hominins and human evolution. The Nobel Prize season's well and truly underway. On Monday, the Nobel Prize in Physiology or Medicine was awarded to Swedish geneticist Vante Perbo. He's been credited with transforming the study of human origins. His crowning achievements considered to be the methods he developed to allow the sequencing of an entire Neanderthal genome, reaching back to the dawn of human history. At the awards ceremony, Perbo said in his own words, I think the thing that is amazing to me is that we now have some ability to go back in time and actually follow genetic history and genetic changes over time. This research, once considered impossible, shows that certain genes of Neanderthal origin are preserved in the genomes of people today. Pioneering the field of paleogenomics, at a press conference for the award, Anna Waddell, a member of the committee, explained the kind of impact Perbo's work has had on how we now define ourselves. Svante Perbo's groundbreaking discoveries allow us to address one of the most fundamental questions of all. What makes us unique? Like us, Neanderthals had big brains, they lived in groups and they used tools but these changed very little during hundreds of thousands of years until the Neanderthals, for unclear reasons, disappeared. Homo sapiens, on the other hand, rapidly developed complex cultures, figurative art and advanced innovations. They crossed open waters and they spread to all parts of our planet. The basis for this dramatic development must lie in genetic changes that occurred after we separated from Neanderthals and Denisovans, not so long ago. Like many Nobel Prize recipients, Fante cites scientific curiosity and wonder as his main drivers. However, beyond pure curiosity, his work has had practical implications too. I mean, we have discovered, for example, that in the COVID pandemic, the greatest risk factor to become severely ill and even die when you're infected with the virus has come over to modern people from Neanderthals. So we and others are now intensely studying the Neanderthal version versus the protective modern version to try to understand what the functional difference would be. And if we understood that, we could perhaps also treat COVID better. But it's primarily, of course, a historical curiosity-driven 
research, if you like. Still, the impact Perbo's works had on us today is far-reaching. Unlike other prize winners in the category of physiology or medicine, this isn't about a new treatment or product. As DW News Science correspondent Derek Williams puts it, this research is fundamentally about who we are. It's about human beings and comparing us to our distant relatives that died out and went extinct. And why did that happen? And, and some of the answers to some of those questions are going to lie in our genes. And if so if we can read and can compare those genes, then our genetic sequences with those of species which have died out, it's going to teach us a lot more about Homo sapiens sapiens, mm-hmm. us and why we were successful and why maybe they weren't, why they fell by the wayside. So it's really, in in a way, answering some of the biggest questions. is a nation of dog lovers. Known as man's best friend, we have 12.5 million besties dotted around the country, making them Britain's most popular pet. The Labrador's consistently in the top spot for the most popular breed, but owners of all sorts of dogs will tell you they're intuitive creatures, and some owners will swear their animals can read their moods. Well now, there's actually a bit of evidence to back up that theory. There are suggestions that dogs can smell our psychological state. In a sniff test devised by scientists at Queen's University Belfast, pet dogs volunteered by their owners were trained to nose through a lineup of scent canisters. Each one of them contained a sample of sweat or breath taken from a person either before or just after they completed a difficult stress-inducing maths problem. The task? Sniff out the stressed person's sample. In more than 650 out of 700 trials, they successfully identified a sample of sweat or breath that had been taken from a stressed person. Having a psychological stress response changes the way um, that our body is emitting odours and dogs can detect that change. That was Clara Wilson, the final year PhD candidate who led the research. I think it's just really interesting to kind of confirm that alongside everything that we're aware of, there are these kind of more uh, subtle cues that we might be emitting that dogs are picking up on. Clara and her fellow researchers at Queen's University Belfast hope their study will one day help in the training of therapy dogs. Still to come on the Sunday 7, babies reacting to taste in the womb and the important role of microscopic phytoplankton. We've long heard that pregnant people eat for two, but new research shows the phrase to be somewhat true. Researchers from the University of Durham claim to be the first in the world to look at how unborn babies react to taste and smell in the womb. With surprising results, this research gives rare insights into understanding how human taste and smell receptors develop during pregnancy. To find out more, we caught up with Beza Uston, the postgraduate researcher who led the study. Thanks for joining us, Beza. To start off with, how on earth exactly do babies taste and smell while they're still in the womb? So when the mother eats the food or inhales the smell, all flavours first pass into the mother's blood. And from here, taste compounds pass through the umbilical cord and placenta into the fetal blood. And from fetal blood, it's excreted into the amniotic fluid by renal and pulmonary pathways. And therefore, the fetus can taste and smell the flavors of food eaten by the mother by swallowing or inhaling the amniotic fluid. So how did you carry out the experiment? In our study, 
we use kale and carrot because these flavors do not share the same flavor profile. So we can say that kale is definitely a bitter taste, but carrot is non-bitter. We ask mothers to consume either kale or carrot capsule around 20 minutes before taking an ultrasound scanning and then we scan their fetuses to see the facial reactions for around 20-25 minutes. And what sort of reactions did you see on the ultrasound? If you look at the results coming from for the ultrasound scans, if, if fetuses were exposed to kale, they gave um, reactions similar to cry face. But if they were exposed to carrot, they gave laughter face reactions. It shows us fetuses in the last trimester, in the last three months of pregnancy, are mature enough to sense the flavors coming from maternal diet, but also it shows that they can distinguish different flavors in the womb. What are the implications of this research? So the evidence of this study suggests that there is a potential to change infant and ultimately child preferences to healthy green and often bitter tasting vegetables. And this can be done before they were even born by repeated maternal exposure of these healthy vegetables during pregnancy. And of course, this is a question which needs more research and that is what we are hoping to do next. From the smallest to the largest animals in the ocean, each one plays an important role in removing carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. We have, I guess, what's called a carbon problem. So we have been, over the past several hundred years, emitting CO2 into the atmosphere through burning of fossil fuels, cement production, deforestation. The ocean is actually doing us a great service by absorbing about a third of those emissions. That was research scientist Dr Elizabeth Shadwick. Microscopic phytoplankton is estimated to capture up to 20 billion tonnes of CO2 every year. They form the base of the marine food webs, yet they're often the forgotten element in marine ecosystems, despite having the critical role of supporting all other life. Scientists are hopeful the tiny ocean zooplankton will help tell us if climate change targets are being met. We really need to quantify how much carbon is going into the ocean for us to make accurate predictions of, of how we expect the climate to change over the coming decades and centuries. Every 12 months, scientists travel 36 hours by boat to release sediment traps in the subantarctic zone, collecting particles that sink from the surface. Dr Catherine Wynne-Edwards from the Institute for Marine and Arctic Studies explains. There's a, a lot of processes that happen in between before this material that I analyse ends up at great depth. And so it is a small fraction and a lot has happened to it from the place of carbon dioxide to organic material. This research is also answering the question of how global climate change will alter the Southern Ocean's ability to absorb atmospheric CO2. We can see that there's a composition change, but um, other, other impacts we don't even know yet. Still to come on the Sunday 7, the EU introduces new charger rules and plastic waste meets its match. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves... Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. 
Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Right after this. You're listening to the Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Are you tired of your tangled up mess of chargers? Well, soon you'll be able to boost your iPhone battery using your Android charger. That's if you live in the European Union, at least. This week, the European Parliament approved new rules to introduce a single charger for small devices from 2024. EU lawmaker Alex Agius Saliba steered the reform through the EU Assembly. The simplest solutions are often the best and most practical ones. And the simple solution each year will save thousands of tons of electronic waste, facilitate the reuse of old electronics, better consumer convenience, reduce unnecessary costs, and also help to save millions of euros. The new rules, which were a world first, would make USB connectors, the same ones used by Android devices, the standard across the 27-nation block. The change is expected to lead to a gradual phase-out of older products, but it's not good news for everyone. Apple will have to change its signature change points for phones and other devices. The new rules also cover e-readers, earbuds and other technologies, meaning it may also have an impact on Samsung, Huawei and other device makers. And it will also apply to laptops from 2026. Apple's warned in the past that the proposal would hurt innovation and create a mountain of electronic waste. The European Commission, however, has estimated that a move to a single charger would save consumers just under $250 million. Not each, sadly. Elon Musk showcased his humanoid robot prototype Optimus at this year's Tesla AI Day. Musk said the electric vehicle maker would be able to produce millions of the robots and sell them for less than a third of a Model Y SUV. Our goal is to make a useful humanoid robot as quickly as possible. We've also designed it using the same discipline that we use in designing the car, which is to design it for manufacturing uh, such that it's possible to make the robot at high volume uh, at low cost. Optimus is designed to be an extremely capable robot, but made in in very high volume, and it is expected to cost much less than a car. I would say probably less than $20,000. Musk says he expected Tesla would be ready to take orders for the robot in three to five years, but more work is to be done. It's already a huge improvement from the last showcase of a Tesla humanoid robot, which turned out to be a person in a robot suit. Musk, who's spoken before about the risks of artificial intelligence, said the mass rollout of robots had the potential to transform civilization. However, Elon does have a reputation for making big promises, and whilst many fall short, Tesla's electric cars are evidence of his follow-through. Will Optimus go down the same route, or Richard Waters is the Financial Times' West Coast tech editor, and he's got some reservations. Maybe his timelines are a little short for what it'll take. The electric car is a very good example of this. There were electric cars, they didn't perform very well. He set a very ambitious goal of getting the price down, the quality up, the range of these vehicles, and he achieved that. It took him a little longer than he thought, but he achieved it. So that's one type of promise that Musk makes. 
But I think there's a whole other class of promise. I'm going to take humans to Mars. Uh, I'm going to build cars that drive themselves with no human intervention at all. These are stretch goals of an altogether different order because they require technology leaps that we haven't got to yet. And he's assuming that you know he can solve these technology challenges. And quite frankly, you know, we don't know yet. He's been promising self-driving cars for years and they haven't arrived. This is how Musk operates. He sets these big, ambitious goals. And I think humanoid robots fits into that second category of just a hugely ambitious idea. It may take years, it may take decades. You know, probably the latter. One of the worst forms of plastic pollution may have met its match in the saliva of a humble worm. Spanish researchers say they've discovered chemicals in the waxworm's drool that break down polyethylene, one of the most durable and widely used plastics in the world. Now we found uh, that worms can do that through their saliva, and in the saliva there are two enzymes that can actually uh, oxidise and then degrade polyethylene. That was Dr Federica Bertaccini, a molecular biologist speaking to BBC News. According to Federica, just one hour's exposure to the saliva can break down the plastic as effectively as a year of weathering. That could be crucial. Polyethylene is an incredibly useful and durable material. It's cheap to produce and doesn't interact with food, which means it's great for things like food packaging. But it can also be very hard to get rid of. The original concept of biodegradation into the environment, you throw the plastic bags and then it degrades there. But I don't think it's uh, feasible. It's, it won't make much sense. So in a controlled environment, waste management facility, bigger or smaller, whatever it is, you can imagine... Clearly, we have to collect the plastic, but then you can pour litres of, of a solution with these enzymes in there. Waxworms currently have a shady reputation. They're actually considered pests by beekeepers as they feed on beeswax, pollen and honey. But if they prove a useful weapon for tackling our plastic problems, then we might have to rethink their reputation. This has been The Sunday 7. Wherever you're listening, do us a favour and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7am with the regular Smart 7. Have a great rest of your weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.